Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. Y'all, I am so excited for today's episode, and I've got to tell you, it looks a little bit different than some of our previous ones. Today is going to be a real treat because I am introducing you to one of my friends, Dr. Adrian Udeem. Dr. Adrian is an internal medicine doctor specializing in nutrition and weight loss based out of Southern California, and she's also the author of her new book, Hungry for More, which let me just tell you is so good. I could not put it down. Now, Dr. Adrian has a really incredible approach, and I'm just so excited to share this conversation with you. She really talks a lot about the mindset work, which if you've been around for a little while by now, you know that that is my jam. Now, Dr. Adrian actually has her own podcast as well called Health Bite. I recommend checking it out. And we interviewed each other on this episode so that we could share it with both of our communities. I think you're going to really enjoy it and get so much out of the wisdom that she has to share. Without further ado, let's dive on in. Hello there, beautiful friend. I'm your host, Kaya, a cattle rancher turned accidental life coach after embarking on my own health journey, losing over 100 pounds, but most importantly, rebuilding my relationship with myself. Now I am more on fire than ever to empower others to create a healthy life that they love from the inside out by sharing the tools, tips, and strategies that I've learned and continue to learn along the way mindset, health, body image, self-love, entrepreneurship, and more. We're here to chat about climbing the mountains of life all while finding joy in the journey. Welcome to the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. Now let's get climbing. So Kaya, you and I met through social media, which is interesting. I never thought I would make really deep connections through social media, but of course this past year and a half has showed me that that is so possible and that the relationships can be so meaningful. And we already in a relatively short period of time, even though we have known of each other over the past year, have kind of developed this very sweet and deep relationship, wouldn't you say? Yes. And I love it. I think it's so funny because I feel like there used to be this taboo about like, oh yeah, I met them online. I used to think that was weird, but especially in the last year, maybe two years, I feel like it feels so normal to me now. Like I think it's just part of 2021. And I feel like some of my closest friendships are people that I've never met in person just because I've met them online. I think it's also a cool way to think about how well we can be connected to like-minded individuals that we would never have access to otherwise that we can connect with online. So I'm so happy happy. Thank you, internet, for bringing us together. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I'll start by sharing that I first heard about Kaya a little over a year ago. There was a feature of her in People Magazine, and I was super intrigued in her journey and her story of having lost over 100 pounds and now using that information to inspire others. And of course, as a internist who specializes in weight loss and who does this as her life's work, and someone who also has had her own journey, I was super excited to hear more about how this even happened. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in this process. I am someone who has struggled with my weight for most of my life, ever since I was a really, really little girl. Both of my parents also struggled with their weight as well, my grandparents. And hearing talk about diet and weight loss was a conversation that 
was always happening in my house. And I think that that's not unique to me. I think that that's very similar for a lot of other people, but my struggle with my weight began early on and especially my struggle with body image. And I think the youngest I can remember going on a diet, I was maybe 10, perhaps even a little bit younger. I went on the Atkins diet with my parents and it really is what started this long-term yo-yo dieting cycle for me. I'd get to a point where I hated my body enough that I would be inspired or motivated to start this new diet program or weight loss program. And I'd start really strong. I'd go for a little while. Maybe I'd see some results. And then once I lost enough weight, I'd be ready to go back to quote unquote normal again. And the cycle would continue to repeat. I would shame myself, shame my body, go on a diet, eventually mess up on my diet, shame myself for messing up, console myself in food, gain the weight back, shame myself, go on the diet. And it became this vicious cycle for a really long time. And I struggled all the way through elementary school, through college and through my young professional career. And it wasn't until I had read this book that was kind of like a wake up call to me at a time when I was finally ready to receive the message back in, I guess it was August of 2018. I had read this book that just kind of hit me that I wasn't taking ownership of my life. And I was really playing victim in my life in a big way. I was playing victim to my genetics, telling myself that I could never get healthy because I was predisposed to be this way. I played victim to my job thinking I didn't have the time or money to invest in all these fancy weight loss programs. I blame my partner saying that if he wasn't going to hop on the dieting bandwagon with me, then I couldn't get healthy. And I kind of had this aha moment of the fact that I was giving away all of my power to everyone and everything outside of me, making all of these excuses instead of taking ownership of my own choices. And what I came to realize was that every other time I had approached weight loss in the past, it was always fueled from this place of self-hate and judgment, thinking I will love myself once I lose weight. I will finally be happy once I lose weight. On the other side of this is where everything is that I want. And what I realized realized was that so many of the things I was hungry for was stuff that was already available to me because so much of the things that was really stopping me from creating that healthy life I wanted. Because to be honest, Adrian, I knew at least at some basic level how to eat healthy. I knew how to move my body. I just wasn't doing it. And me not showing up for myself was more of a mental block than it was not actually having the resources or information I needed to honor my body well. And I realized the biggest piece I was missing was really that self-love and acceptance. And so while my story, many people think is, is a weight loss story. I think it's really more of a mindset transformation story that weight loss happened to be a result of. And so really focusing on doing that inner work, healing my relationship with myself and focusing on small baby steps and small habits over time in a year, I was able to lose over a hundred pounds. And now in a wild turn of events, I have now become a life coach, really helping other women all across the world do this mindset healing work to, to create that healthy life that they're hungry for as well. I mean, I love that story. I've heard it three times now. And, and every time I'm like fascinated and intrigued. And there's so many pieces of that, that I want to touch on and not lose. First and foremost is this concept of meeting yourself where you're at with kindness and self-compassion and yet taking ownership and not feeling victimized. And I feel like sometimes holding those two things in hand is difficult to reconcile because when I tell my patients that you have to meet yourself where you're at with self-compassion, the immediate response most of the time is, you know, if I don't bully myself, 
that I'll never change. You know, Brene Brown always says that you can't bully yourself into change. And that's the darn truth, right? And then at the other end might be the idea or the concept of if you're being self-compassionate, then you're being lackadaisical. And that's not what that mm -hmm. means either, right? It, it does mean taking ownership, but self-compassion is giving yourself what you need with kindness, right? Even if that thing is difficult. And God knows anyone who has gone through this process, whether they had to lose 25 pounds of baby weight or a hundred pounds or even five pounds, quite frankly, knows that it's, it's hard work, right? It is hard work. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me, I used to tell myself the hard part was changing my nutrition and changing my exercise, which sure changing your habits is hard work. I think for me, what I discovered, what it was that that mindset work was the hardest work because it's, it's a lot of unlearning and, and uncovering stories that I had told myself and believed for so long that felt true simply because I had believed them for so long and undoing and unlearning those things. And those, those lies I believed for decades that I think is, is some of the hardest work. And I think recognizing too, that, that this is a never ending journey, right? I might have lost a hundred pounds. I might have, you know, really made a lot of progress, but this health journey, the self-love journey, it's an ongoing thing. And in order to keep a relationship relationship strong, you have to continue to work at it, including the relationship you have with yourself. hundred percent. And I think it reminds me of a line that I wrote in the book, hungry for more, which I was describing a patient I called Craig. And I said that nobody loses 60 pounds to the sound of blaring trumpets and confetti, right? You never like do the work and then throw your legs up and be like, bam, I'm done. <laughs> it is an ongoing process. I think the other point that came out in, in what you said was this concept of it not being punishment, right? I think sometimes when we get into this process where it's it starts from like this negative, self-deprecating, hateful, like I'll show you kind of place, then you necessarily associate all of those things that you're doing for yourself in a negative way. And instead of perceiving it as choice, like I have the choice to care for my body. I have the choice to take the time and prepare, cook, obtain nourishing foods. I have the choice to take the time off to move my body. It's all seen in, in the light of punishment. And when you talk to people, the truth is eating a salad is refreshing. And I'm not saying you should just eat salads, you know, that, but that's a misnomer, of course. But, but the point is like, or going out and doing activity. It's always a hurdle to get going, but most times people feel good on some level afterwards. And so if we can align with that goodness, you know, that choice mm -hmm. and how it feels to do something right for ourselves, then you walk out of that self-limiting belief that it's punishing or depriving or restricting or whatever it is, whatever terms we use to describe that. Yeah. And I, and I think that really being mindful of the language and the way that we speak about it to ourselves can be really impactful of saying, instead of saying like, I have to eat a salad tonight because I have to be healthy, or I have to go for a run tonight, even just flipping that on its head and saying like, I don't have to do anything. Like I'm a grown ass woman. I can sit right here on the couch and eat an entire pizza if I want to, but I get to honor my body with the nourishment that it needs tonight. 
And I'm going to make an empowered choice to have a well-balanced meal that includes a salad. And I don't have to go for a run, but I am going to choose, like you said, that empowered choice. I'm going to choose to go for a run because I know how great my body feels afterwards. And I think even just changing the language and the way that we think about it can be so empowering with our approach and the way that it feels. And I think also, I think it's so crucial when it comes to creating and establishing these habits for your health to find a way to enjoy the process, because if it feels like punishment, then you're going to quit. No one wants to sign themselves up for a lifelong punishment, but if we can create a lifestyle that allows us to actually enjoy the process, I think it makes all the difference. And I think that meeting yourself where you're at, especially at the beginning is going to be so paramount to that. Like if you are someone who eats a box of cookies every night and you're the expert here, but in my opinion, if you're someone that eats a bunch of cookies every night, don't remove all the cookies immediately from the get-go. If you like cookies, let's find a way to enjoy them in a more healthy way. You know, and if there are things in your life that you enjoy, let's find a way to make them fit into a process that doesn't feel restrictive or like punishment. And the other thing is, is if you hate running, find a different way to honor your body with movement, find a way that doesn't feel punishing. If you really enjoy swimming instead, then swim. If that's how you like to honor your body with movement, I think finding a way to find joy in the process and make it a process that is enjoyable can make a huge difference too. You know, as you were starting to talk, I was thinking to myself, if I were in a position where, you know, let's say I had 10 pounds to lose before COVID happened, right? And then the pandemic, I gained another 10, 20 pounds. And now I'm 30 pounds from where I want to be. This is a, you know, something that I hear my patients say all the time. And now that number is so insurmountable and the feeling of shame and discomfort around that is so strong that to hear about taking joy. I mean, I can imagine some people like rolling their eyes back and being like, how does that even happen? How is that even possible? And that's why I want to circle back to what you said about how it's so important, how you start at the beginning and then go back to something you said even before. I think what people don't realize, people who haven't done the mindset work, is that the thought is not of their creation or volition, right? People over-identify with their thoughts, like they think, and I before, I mean, it was a major aha moment for me personally, the first time somebody said to me, you don't have to believe your thoughts. And I was like, well, what do you even mean? Like, if I'm thinking it, it's got to be true. And so I think the very first point is to just understand and know that we have 60 to 70,000 thoughts per day. That's a known fact. And that research has shown that 70% of those thoughts are negative. So whether you are, you know, the president of the United States, a coach or a doctor, you know, a fashion model on the runway, that is a fact, right? Or like a regular Joe out there doing like the good hard work. Everybody has these negative thoughts, right? And so keeping them in check is really important in terms of how you feel about yourself and how you feel about yourself is really important in terms of your volition to do the work and to see joy mm-hmm. in doing the work. So wouldn't you say that the first part is just understanding, you know, identifying those thoughts and then creating like space between you and it, not over identifying with that thought? 
Yes, 100%. And that was a big revelation for me too. In this process was like, oh my gosh, I don't have to believe every single thought that pops through my head. And it seems so simple, but it changes everything. Like I like to think about our brain kind of being this like mind garden. Okay. And, and every thought kind of represents a plant and some of the plants are flowers. Some of them are weeds. I think part of it is just being able to have the awareness to know the difference and recognize that we don't have to give our energy. We don't have to water the weeds, right? We can notice them. We can pluck them. We can focus on the flowers. We don't have to give our time and energy to the weeds because the more that we do, the more energy we give those thoughts that are just optional thoughts to believe the stronger and more bigger they will grow. And I think that that was really empowering to me to think I can just observe them without having to give them any weight or energy. And I think that the big thing that I always bring up with my community is I talk to them about compassionate curiosity. How can we, instead of looking at these thoughts, thinking, these are my thoughts, these are my beliefs. How can we look at our thoughts with compassionate curiosity? Like, instead of saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe I believe that or think that more of like, huh, that's interesting that that popped into my mind. I wonder where that came from, because I think it's important to, to recognize that the thoughts that are in our head sometimes aren't even our own. Sometimes they're thoughts that other people have put there or that, you know, we've just been like conditioned to think throughout our day. And I think kind of removing ourselves and creating that space. Like you mentioned, I actually just finished reading one of the chapters that you talked about this, about one of your, in your book, about one of your clients. I loved it. Like learning the ability to sit back as an observer of your own thoughts can be so powerful. Right. I mean, really. And, and so just to, to talk about what book you're referencing, for those of you who don't know, the book is Hungry for More Stories and Science to Inspire Weight Loss from the Inside Out. And this is a book that I wrote based on 15 years of patient stories. And it became apparent to me, just as I know it has been for you, we spoke about this too, right, you and I, that there are so many emotional and spiritual hungers that come up. On the surface, there's this desire to lose weight. Like, I've gained 20 pounds during the pandemic, get it off, done. But we realize that underlying that what we think is a physiologic hunger or a hunger for food, there's an emotional hunger. And being the recipient of so many years of patient stories and seeing that there's such a thread, like these stories come up over and over and over again. And not only did I see the thread between patients, but even I could relate, you know, not that I had a hundred pounds that I've lost in the past, but I can still relate to you based on the common humanity piece, because those struggles, those challenges, those imposter syndrome, the negative thinking, they are universal. My hope with this book, my wish was that it would take away some of the shame by just validating it through stories and through science, because all this stuff we're talking about in terms of meeting yourself where you're at and having self-compassion at the beginning of the process is integral to habit change. And that's scientifically proven too. Yes. So, okay, y'all, I, I cannot say enough amazing things about Dr. Adrian's book. So Adrian sent me a signed copy. I feel so special <laughs> and y'all run, don't walk. You have to get yourself a copy because this is the first book that I've ever read that has approached weight loss in this way. And I think it is the most powerful way to look at it. And I love what you shared to you about the common humanity piece. What I love about reading these stories about her clients and even just looking at the chapters, just the name of the chapters, I have to read a couple of them. If you don't mind just the name of the chapters, you know, when I think about a doctor talking about weight loss, I feel like I make assumptions about what is going to be inside of the book. 
and your book was not what I expected in a really incredible way. The chapters are titled Hungry for Perfection, Hungry for Self-Love, Hungry for Soothing, Hungry for Routine, and it goes on and on and on. And what I love so much about this is that you have really found a way to express this intersection between the head and the heart, between like the science of our physiological bodies, but also the mental health piece and how much they are interconnected. And what I think is so powerful reading your stories of your clients is I hear myself and see myself in every single one of them. And I love what you said about the common humanity piece, because I think so many of us that struggle, and I felt like this for a long time in my struggle, I felt so isolated and alone. You know, for me, for a long time, I self-identified as I was the fat sister. I was the fat cousin. I was the fat friend. I was the only one that got it. Nobody else understood how I was feeling. And what's so interesting now for me in doing this work is realizing that I am not alone. And also that these issues that we're dealing with aren't just reserved for people in fatter bodies, right? Like whether you have five pounds to lose or 150 pounds to lose, the underlying issue that we're facing for a lot of us is so much the same. And now having the opportunity to work with some of my own clients in my community, they are women of all sizes, shapes, and backgrounds. And we are talking about the same things. And I think realizing that so much of what we want in our life is a feeling. And we think that that feeling comes on the other side of weight loss, but so much of that healing needs to happen first in order for us to create the healthier body that we're after. And I just love your approach. You are an incredible writer. I have just got to say, Thank it's you. one of those books that I have a hard time putting down in the morning and I've been late for work a few times. I love that being late. Yeah, I'll take it. I'm so glad because that was really the intention of the book. To be quite honest, there were times where I, I would sit in the office and I was biting my tongue from either self-disclosure, you know, like wanting to console the person on the other side of the desk with my own stories or with other people's personal stories, which of course I can't do either in a medical office. So, and of course the names and demographics and everything have been changed to keep people's anonymity, but that was the impetus for me to do this was because you're right. When you're in that position, you do feel so alone and you don't recognize that everybody is experiencing almost the same thing. And to your point, I've had people who are you know, on the outside, like lean, and you would never, you know, unfortunately, excess weight is something that you can identify with your eyes. And so you make assumptions mm -hmm. about it, right? Um, so, you know, I see a skinny guy, and I'm like, you know, maybe this book won't resonate. But to your point, these life lessons are things that everyone experiences regardless. So I'm glad that that was the impact it had. Hey there, friends. I just wanted to pop in really quick and see if you're looking to ignite your transformation for creating a healthier life that you love from the inside out. If so, I've got some good news. If you're willing to give me 10 minutes a day for just five days, I just recently launched my new five-day kickstart. In five days, you're going to learn my signature coaching framework, helping hundreds of women around the world ditch diet culture. I'm also going to share the five action steps that you need to start doing right now to ignite that health transformation. And they're likely not what you've been taught from diet programs. And I'm also going to be giving you strategies to create lasting change in your life from the inside out. And the good news, friends, it's 100% free. If you're ready to join the free five-day kickstart, visit coachkaya.com to get started. 
I want to back up to for a second, Dr. Adrian, and I want to ask you, you know, this is so powerful and I can't wait to see the way that this, I think can really help change people's lives in a big way, but I want to hear more about how you even got into this line of work. Like, tell me how you got here to this point where you're at this place to share these stories. Like, how did you get here? So I described this in the book. There's like the very logistical story and then there's kind of like the backstory. So I will say that I never intended to do kind of quote weight loss medicine or become a weight loss doctor. I actually was intending to do something totally different and decided to start a family. And so that took me into a different realm. And I was looking to do something that was in medicine, but was kind of more preventive, more consultative, you know, more interactive with people. I had started this program and I was a medical director at this hospital. You know, I was prescribing medications and I was working with bariatric surgeons and I still prescribe medications and I still refer for surgery, you know, when appropriate. And so part of not shaming you know, is not shaming for anything. You know, people are allowed to utilize whatever tool and resource is available to get them to where they are. But, you know, while I was doing this stuff, the prescribing and whatever, in the back of my head, you know, I wanted to be like, can you quit that deadbeat job? Because that's killing you. And like, I could feel there was a hunger for autonomy or hunger to be valued. You know, I wanted to like tell people to get a divorce or I don't know, go to counseling, right? Because, They were in a relationship in which they still hungered to be seen, right? So these things were all popping in my mind. And meanwhile, I was experiencing my own hungers. I had my own hunger for autonomy. I had my own hunger for belonging. I had my own hunger for creativity. I had all of these ideas that I wanted to share and I couldn't being an employee. So I quit a very prestigious position and I started seeing patients and I decided I was going to do things differently and I was just going to sit and listen. And so I really just listened to stories. And as I said before, you know, one repeat story, two repeats, like after the 10th time, 20th time you get repetition in the same story, you're like, okay, this is not just Adrian or Joe, this is a universal story. And so I really just saw the patterns in people. In terms of like how I landed in weight loss, you know, people used to always ask me and I was like, I don't know. I kind of, I mean, I had all of these reasons and I don't think I really did know consciously why I cared about this area so much. But of course, like 94% of women, I grew up with body image issues And the studies show that you don't actually have to be even overweight, which I was when I was a child, but you can even be underweight and have body image issues. So no one's immune from that. And then reckoning with all the ways in which that manifested, you know, not feeling like I belonged because I grew up, you know, a Middle Eastern, a girl, you know, born to immigrants, born in the United States, but born to immigrants living in a very kind of white part of the country back in the 80s in Texas, and thinking that my belonging was dependent on my size or my body. You know, these are just some of the examples that I experienced growing up. And so, you know, now having done this work, and especially in having written the book where I really dig deep into my own stories, I can see how experiencing all of these hungers myself, hunger for self-compassion, for self-love, for perfection, you know, all of these things did lead me to the work and working through it led me to a place of, you know, understanding and meaning, which is the last chapter of the book. 
I love hearing your story because I think it's, it's so interesting looking back at what we experienced in our life and hindsight's always 2020, like being able to see the way that all of those things kind of happened for a reason. And I think it's just so cool to be on the other side of, of a struggle or a journey and realize that all of the things that we dealt with can now be our greatest strength. You know, I feel that way. That's true for me. I wouldn't wish my body image or weight struggles on anyone else, but now I can look back and see how that was the greatest gift because now I have this incredible opportunity to support other women that are walking through that same struggle too. And even hearing your story, that sounds a lot the same for you too. Like how your own body image struggles growing up now allows you this opportunity to serve um, women and men alike in, in this really incredible way. And I just, I love hearing people's stories and how things just kind of fall in place like that. And I will also say that, you know, those hungers, again, like we alluded to before, I mean, hunger for belonging, and they may not manifest as a weight issue or as a body image issue, but they are universal issues. But I'm glad that you posed your comments the way you did, because I know that your podcast is actionable and mine too, Health Bite, right? Small bites towards actionable, you know, steps towards well-being. And so I want to use that to kind of shift right into how do you use these experiences to make meaning? How do you make meaning of these negative experiences? Because when we're in the thick of it, it just sucks, period. And it's really hard to have, like you said, it might be hindsight. It's very difficult in the moment. So I'm going to share what, you know, some of the strategies that I think have been helpful and what I prescribe even. But I also, because you've done the heavy lifting <laughs> in this work personally, I think it would be very valuable for you to share like practicality, like how do you get started in this process? So I will say that a practice that I have engaged in since I was six years old was journaling. And I have journals that, you know, date back to the mid eighties, early eighties. And they were things like you know, capturing Mary Lou Retton winning the gold medal. So, you know, or the space shuttle challenger blowing up. So, you know, sometimes we think about journaling as like, oh, you know, you just write the events in your day. And that's actually very effective because that what I call data dump helps clear the mind of ruminations. And those ruminations and difficult emotions actually do promote hunger in terms of changing hunger hormones. So that's something that I do want to get across to your audience is that you know, emotional eating is not just a character flaw, it's physiologic. The science shows that when you are stressed or have difficult emotions, that it hijacks hunger hormones so that you feel more hungry. So the first, you know, benefit I think of journaling in this context is having an outlet to like dump, right? To relay all of the things so that you're not reliving that conversation over and over again. You can just put it somewhere and let it go. But the second part of journaling that I think is really important is really the introspective piece, right? And this ties back to what you said at the beginning, not just hating on yourself for having a thought, but wondering like, where did this come from, right? Who said this you know, or whose words are this? It doesn't seem like mine. And I always tell people, if you wouldn't say this thing to your best friend, then it's not your words. You shouldn't be saying it to yourself, right? It's coming from another place. And the other part of that is being introspective in terms of what those emotions are telling you. So I think something that as a society, and especially for women, and I know you work, you know, almost exclusively with women, 
is anger, right? We, we feel like we can't be angry or we shouldn't be angry. And then if we're angry, we're the B word, right? But that anger is telling you something. What is it telling you? And so using the journaling activity to just explore, like you, as you said, compassionate curiosity, right? To explore what those feelings are does help you figure out why I lost my job. I'm so angry. You know, now I'm gaining weight. Like, how do you make meaning out of that? Writing will give you the pathway. And so to that end, I know I'd shared this with you. I actually am working on some, you know, next steps for Hungry for More because people have been inquiring and saying that they, they are hungry for more stuff, which is exciting. And one of those is how to be actionable. So I am putting together a 30-day journaling activity so that people have daily prompts to consider. And these are prompts that I've used myself for introspection and that I prescribe. So I'll prescribe medications. You know, I don't feel bad about that using that tool, but I'll also prescribe journal prompts. So that's been very effective and helpful for me. I wonder what practical steps you can provide or you have to offer that were helpful for you. So I'm really glad that you have the journaling piece and I hate to not give another outlet, but I just want to echo the power of journaling. And I love that you also have the science behind it because all I know is that it worked for me, but I'm glad you got science to back it up. I have been someone who, when I was younger, I liked the idea of journaling. Like I bought really cute journals and I'd write in them for a day and then I'd forget they were there. And then I'd come back to them in a year and write for a day. And This last time when I started my health journey, I picked back up on the journaling and the way that I started, like if the idea of journaling, cause I know a lot of people are like, oh, great. Another chore. Like it doesn't sound appealing to everyone, which I get, I was there with you. But the way that I started my journaling practice was with gratitude journaling. And it was simple as I would write the date. I would write five bullet points and I just write five things from that day that I was grateful for. And that was it. That was the only way that I started journaling. And that was kind of like my gateway into journaling. And then as I got really consistent with that, I was like, okay, it actually feels really good to do this. Then I started doing more of that introspective journaling, like you mentioned, and it has been one of the most powerful tools of my life. And now that's how I begin pretty much every piece of my morning. But I also want to speak about the gratitude thing. For me, a lot of my journey was changing the conversations I'd have with myself to rebuild my relationship. And I think a good place to start to shift from that place of self-judgment and hate is to really learn how to root yourself in gratitude. Even if you're at a place where you don't, you're not ready to love your body yet. Like I know that some of us aren't there. If anything, like let's try to get neutral with our bodies, but how you are right now, whatever you look like without losing a single pound, I know there are things that you have to be grateful for in your life. And if we can begin by rooting ourselves there, that was really wildly powerful for me in my, my mindset healing journey. So I think that that's a really good place to start. If you want to explore the journaling piece, journaling is also really helpful to create that space between ourselves and our thoughts. Kind of like you mentioned earlier and really being able to take what you're thinking and put it on paper and just really dumping it onto the paper, whatever is on your head or heart, just throwing it on the page without any judgment, without any filtering. And then having those thoughts literally on the page, right in front of you, being able to create that space, look at them from that place of compassion, curiosity to say, what am I thinking? 
well, do I like thinking of those thoughts? How are those making me feel? Is it true? Where did this thought come from? It allows you to look at it as an observer, almost like being a third party person, looking at your own brain. And that can be so, so powerful and just a place to process however you're feeling in a really healthy way. And it can be things you're struggling with, but it's also a great place to celebrate too. Like sometimes my journal is about me, about having the best day or something that I'm really excited about. And that's really reinforcing and powerful too. Or sometimes it's about like, I'm having a crappy day and this is why. And it's a safe space for me to process and learning how to really take those emotions that I used to numb away from with food, like anger, sadness, all those unpleasant emotions. Now, all of a sudden I have this new tool in my back pocket, my journal, where I can process them instead of feeling the need to avoid them by scarfing down a bunch of Oreos. You know, I think in what you said, there's a couple things. One is that the gratitude piece that made me think of what you said earlier about the flowers you know, one of the aspects of gratitude journaling is that you're cultivating those positive thoughts. So to your point, even if at the beginning it doesn't feel right or it feels weird or you don't quite know what to say, you can say very easy things like, hey, I woke up this morning and that's a big deal, right? I mean, that's a big deal given what we're experiencing right now and the fact that a lot of people, unfortunately, has have gone through so much loss. So the point being that you can cultivate those flowers in mind. I also wanted to offer something else because I will recommend people to say their, you know, gratitude, of course, is great. But celebrating your wins, I ask people to write five prouds, right? And that's also evidence-based that if you can recognize or acknowledge the good things, then you're more apt or more likely to do it. Just think about like, not to compare us as humans to dogs, but think about your dog or your child, right? Like they do something good and you're like, good girl, Sammy, that's my little doggy. The dog is more likely to do it. I mean, on some level, we're the same way. So when we celebrate our wins, um, we are better able to um, continue doing those things. We're more motivated, let's say, to do those things. And then the other thing I recommend is five forgives. And that speaks to the self-compassion piece, because I think, again, the term self-compassion, even for me, you know, sometimes I feel kind of ooey gooey, like talking about it, you know, it feels weird to say self-compassion. It makes sense to say compassion towards others. But one way to kind of get around that is just five forgives, five things that you wished had gone differently or you had done differently, but now you're going to write it down and you're going to let it go. And I think that is kind of a backdoor way (laughs) to offer yourself self-compassion. I, I love that. I think it's really important to recognize that when we do things imperfectly, when we show up imperfectly, when we make mistakes, when we fail, when we do find ourselves thinking those negative thoughts that we're trying not to think anymore, it doesn't make us bad, wrong, or broken, but it makes us human. And I like to think about it. Like if you were talking to your very best friend, someone you love, like you mentioned this earlier, if you wouldn't say it to a friend, don't say it to yourself. I think that's a great benchmark. Like if your friend came to you and they had messed up or had a really bad day or really struggling Would you tell them, well, you suck. This is just another reason why you should give up. Like, no, of course you wouldn't say that. So how can we change that narrative when it comes to ourselves? Like, how can we be kind and encouraging and compassionate and saying like, okay, maybe I didn't show up today the way I wanted to. Maybe everything didn't go as planned, but this is what I learned from that. And this is how I'm going to show up tomorrow and just keep going. Yeah. You know, I think you and I probably, There's a lot more tools that we have that we could pull out of our toolbox. But I think to the point of where we started this whole conversation, which is, 
it's not so much about the macros and, and how much protein to consume and whether or not you should eat your veggies or move your body. I think we all know that. But I think what you have found in your work and what I have found in my work is that the missing piece often is that mindset, minds, diet, positive self-acceptance and self-compassion piece. And I think to that end, you know, what a great strategy to get started if people don't know how to even approach this is a journal, uh, getting a journal, it doesn't have to be fancy, but something that you enjoy writing in and commit to something, whether it's like you said, the five gratitudes or maybe five wins or maybe five crowds, five forgives, right? Or just a safe place to dump your thoughts. Maybe that's the one actionable bite that we can give people to take home is a journaling practice. And I'm going to have you offer where people can find you if they want to learn more about what you're doing. First, I'm going to add one more thing for people, another action that they can take. And that is to go and get this book, y'all. I think that if you are at a place where you're like, okay, I think that there is something deeper going on here, but I'm not really quite sure what that might be. I think reading Dr. Adrian's book is going to be really insightful for you to see how you connect and resonate with these stories. Highly recommend it. It's available right now. You can get it online. I think that it could be really, really helpful. So I just want to add that to your to-do list or an action step to take. Thank you so much for joining me, Kaya. This has been such a great conversation. And I think it's so helpful for people to know firsthand from you, you know, that you've done it, that you have walked the walk and to give your strategies in terms of not just the technicalities, right, but the mindset work that really led you to this place. So thank you for joining me. Well, thank you so much. I'm so glad that we were able to connect. And I just want to thank you for just sharing your and your work with the world. I I know deep down that it is changing people's lives. And I feel so honored to be able to connect with you and share this work as well. So I look forward to chatting more in the future. And this was just such a wonderful conversation. Ditto. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please hit subscribe and leave me a review sharing what you loved most. Come hang out with me on Instagram and Facebook to keep the conversation going as we continue to find joy in the journey. Until next time, I am cheering for you, friend. Keep climbing and we'll chat soon.